Hey guys, and thank you for joining me. This is your host, Mohammed. Today we'll continue our discussion about GI pathologies. Unfortunately, for the first five and a half minutes of the recording, the application I used had amplified my voice tone, which created a weird artifact. Differential for echogenic gallbladder on ultrasound. Most common one is porcelain gallbladder. If we have a gallbladder full of stone, we have the West sign which is wall echo shadow and finally emphysematous cholecystitis because of air on the gallbladder wall it can be echogenic but that echogenicity is described as dirty shadowing term describing hepatic vein thrombosis is but chiari syndrome again but chiari syndrome we have hepatic vein thrombosis common complications seen in ruin y surgery they depend on the timing post-surgery. For example, if we get post-operative leak or if the anastomosis is too tight, that is typically presenting within first two weeks in the post-operative period, we can get a gastroenteric fistula where the gastric pouch and the extended stomach would communicate. Obviously, this would present later and it would present with weight gain despite surgery, meaning patient lost some weight and then they start regaining weight. We can have small bowel obstruction, can be either early or late. If it's early, it's due to edema or hematoma within the anastomosis. So the gastrojejunostomy or the jejunostomy. We can have internal hernia, typically present within two years after surgery. Important distinguishing feature that internal hernias are seen in laparoscopic surgeries. Obstruction is typically seen with open surgery. We can get marginal ulcers, as you can expect. The jejunal mucosa is not meant to handle the gastric acids, but because of the anastomosis between the jejunum and the stomach, we get marginal ulcers, and it's seen up to 3% of patients. And finally, gallstone is the unrelated complication of Roux-en-Y. It's due to change in anatomy. And the key thing to remember is pre-surgery, they would scan those patients with ultrasound. If they have gallstones, they would remove the gallbladder typically during surgery. Talking about gallstones, we'll talk about a complication of cholecystectomy. It's the dropped gallstone or retained gallstone or slipped gallstone. All of these describe the term where during surgery of gallbladder with stones, one of the stone, or can be multiple, would fall off the gallbladder and retained within the abdominal cavity. And this can cause inflammatory changes and pain where the stone would fall. And it's typically described as retained gallstone or dropped gallstone. Again, this is a complication post-cholecystectomy where there is a gallstone in the abdominal cavity. Manifestation of ulcerative colitis. So ulcerative colitis is inflammatory bowel disease that extends from the rectum all the way involving the entire column. Once it gets to the ileocecal valve, it opens the ileocecal valve and causes the imaging appearance of the backwash ileitis, so dilated colon or lead pipe colon with widely open ileocecal valve is called backwash ileitis. As we know, 
ulcerative colitis does not skip lesions, unlike Crohn, where we have skipping lesion. It involves the entirety of the colon. Once it gets to the ileocecal valve, it opens it up and causes reflux of debris into the ileum. Imaging features of marginal ulcer, so it's typically diagnosed through upper GI study, and what we see is thickening and small outpouching of the gastric folds. Thus, the term misty mesentery refers to this refers to CT finding where there is increased attenuation and fatty infiltration of the mesentery due to edema or inflammatory process. Types of pancreatic necrosis. So we have we can get parenchymal necrosis and pancreatitis, we can get peripancreatic necrosis alone, which is typically a walled-off collection of heterogeneous fluid. And finally, we can get pancreatic and parapancreatic necrosis. So this is necrosis of both parenchyma and adjacent soft tissue. Nephrogenic systemic fibrosis and gadolinium contrast media. There was an association between poor kidney function and the use of group one contrast agent or gadolinium-based agent that it led to nephrogenic systemic fibrosis. These agents are no longer in use. And the ACR 2020 manual talks about the ability to use gadolinium agent, particularly class two, that there is a lot of evidence indicating that even patients on dialysis or patients with very poor renal function, there is no association with NF NSF in these patients. The only gray area that the manual reported that if a patient has an acute decline of their renal function, they did not indicate whether they should or should not receive gadolinium-based agent and rather left it up to providers. Again, current data, even if the patient has poor kidney function, the newer agent, particularly class 2, there is a class 3 or group 3 agents that are new, but there has not been enough data to support that there is no reaction or there is no NSF. But for group 2, and these are the most widely spread agent. There is no association even in poor kidney function. The only gray area if a patient has an acute decompensation of their renal function. Pancreatic duct configuration in pancreatic divism. So divism reports that there are two separate pancreatic ducts, which we already have two separate pancreatic ducts. In divism, the main pancreatic duct would drain into the minor papilla. Again, the main pancreatic duct in divism would drain into the minor papilla or duct of Santorini. In normal anatomy, the main pancreatic duct and the common bile duct would join together at the ventral or worsong pancreatic duct or the major papilla and drain together. Again, in pancreatic divism, the main pancreatic duct empties through the minor papilla or duct of centurini into the duodenum. In normal pancreas, the main and the bile duct would join together an underlying mechanism for hepatorenal syndrome. Typically, we have hepatorenal syndrome refers to renal failure in the setting of advanced cirrhosis or chronic liver disease. In cirrhosis, we have portal hypertension. Portal hypertension leads to splenic vasodilation or vasodilation of the splenic or portal vein tissue. This portal vein, the severe dilation, 
theoretically result in decreased effective circulatory volume. The pathology is not really that clear or pathophysiology is not well clear, but one theory that this dilation would decrease effective circulatory volume, basically blood is being held there, and this leads to the activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Now, this activation will lead to increased uptake of renal sodium, kidney will uptake sodium, and leads to ascites, and the vasoconstriction from the activation of renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system would result in the hepatorenal syndrome. Again, the key thing is there is activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone syndrome, which increases sodium uptake because the body thinks that there is decreased intravascular volume, so uptake sodium. Uptake in the sodium by the kidney will increase uptake of water, which leads to ascites. Additionally, if you think the body activates the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system in shock state, and this leads to renal vasoconstriction, which leads to the uh, you know, ischemia of the kidney, and finally, the hepatorenal syndrome. Imaging presentation of Miller-Wester. Typically, this is shown on fluoroscopic swallow study, and we see linear mucosal tears, and when we see when we say linear mucosal tears on swallow study, that means that we have linear lines of contrast material extending through the mucosa, typically seen near the gastroesophageal junction. Again, with Mallory-Wester, it's not a perforation like Borhave syndrome. Rather, it's a slight tear. We have contrast extending distal or peripheral to the lumen of the esophagus. What is the threshold growth for HCC. So typically we have increased diameter of greater than 50% of the original legion size in a period of less than six months. That's why the follow-up interval is typically six months. So again, HCC threshold growth that you would call it and report it, which would increase your LIRAD classification if there is an increase of greater than 50% in less than six months interval, that would considered to be a threshold growth. Appearance of pancreatic adenocarcinoma on CT scan. Typically, we do three phases for pancreatic masses, so unenhanced and then late arterial and portal venous phase. Pancreatic adenocarcinoma is best seen on the late arterial phase, that's because the pancreatic parenchyma would enhance and the lesion or the adenocarcinoma would be hypoattenuating. So we see it best on that phase because there would be a slight area of fake or vague decreased density in the pancreas as compared to the rest of the pancreatic parenchyma. Again, I'm talking about pancreatic adenocarcinoma, not pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. Neuroendocrine tumor are, are hypervascular tumors. Most common cause for gastrocolic fistula, chronic insidious. Again, chronic insidious is the most common cause for gastrocolic fistula. Criterias that upstage the lesion in LIRAD classification. So these are ancillary features that will upstage the lesion based on where it's at. They include arterial uh, portal venous washout, so arterial enhancement with portal venous washout, 
capsule and threshold growth. We in we said in an earlier part of the episode that washout greater than, uh, sorry, increase in size uh, greater than 50% over six months period, that would be considered threshold growth. Washout is washout of arterial enhancement during the portal venous phase and existence of a capsule. These features will upstage each one. Each of these features will add one point. And finally, the size of the lesion, typically a lesion that is less than 10 millimeter can only get LIRAD4. A lesion that is greater than 10 millimeter can be a LIRAD5 lesion. You're shown an in and out of phase imaging of the liver, that uh, of the abdomen at the level of the liver and spleen, and the liver looks dark on the in phase. Well, not dark, iso intense, or there is persistent of mildly bright signal in the in phase and out of phase liver, which is normal. Now on contrast, the spleen, the out-of-phase is actually brighter than the in-phase. What is the significance of? This is significant for splenic iron overload. Again, the liver for steatosis, we have loss of signal in the out-of-phase imaging. For the iron overload, particularly in the spleen, we have increased intensity or increased signal on the out-of-phase image when compared to the in-phase image. Ultrasound features consistent with acute cholecystitis. One most important one, or not most important one, the key features are dilation or distension of the gallbladder, typically greater than 10 by 4 centimeter gallbladder wall thickening, positive Murphy's sign on exam. I think if you add positive Murphy's sign on exam and distended gallbladder, you can get up to uh, 90% specificity. But additional findings include pericolcystic fluid and uh, thickening of the gallbladder wall. Hepatobiliary agents, Eovist versus Gadovist. Eovist, well, Gadovist is not a hepatobiliary agent. It's just a general uh, MRI contrast agent. Eovist is a hepatobiliary agent, which means it is picked up by liver cells and excreted or secreted through bile. It is useful for distinguishing FNH because it would be uptaken by FNH. Metastasis typically not take... Eovist because otherwise they would be liver cells. Adenoma does not take FNH, uh, does not take Eovist, and uh, it can be used for bile leak because, again, it's secreted through bile. To recap, Eovist is a hepatobiliary agent, meaning it's uptaken by normal liver cells plus FNH, which we repeated multiple times, contain normal liver tissue. It's not uptaken by HCC. It's not uptaken by metastasis or adenoma. What we see, we see diffusely bright liver and small focus. If there is a metastasis or a hepatic lesion or a cyst, we'll see a black spot and that it would be the cancer or metastasis. FNH would have intense uptake and persistent uptake past 20 minutes. 
one note that Eovist is associated with tachycardia and increased breathing rate when it's injected. And so it's very hard to breath hold in the initial injection of Eovist. You are shown a pancreatic tail mass with hypoattenuation center, large cyst, and peripheral large calcification, basically a capsule of calcification. What is the diagnosis? What they're trying to get at is the mucinous cystic neoplasm of the pancreas, otherwise known as the mother lesion. These are typically large cysts greater than two centimeter. There is peripheral calcifications or capsule compared to serous cyst adenoma where there is coarse central calcification. Mucinous cyst adenoma are the pancreatic cysts uh, or pancreatic mucinous neoplasms that has the most malignant. So between all the pancreatic cyst neoplasms, so serous, mucinous, and spin, it has the highest malignant potential. Common tumor that metastasizes to the gallbladder. Typically, when we're thinking about gallbladder metastasis, for things that comes to mind is melanoma. Melanoma does weird things. The second thing we would worry about is HCC, which can be either spread through the bile duct or direct invasion. Medication typically associated with small bowel angioedema. This is edema of the bowel in the setting of. ACE inhibitors. Again, small bowel angioedema can be from infectious inflammatory process, but in a setting of ACE inhibitors, that's the diagnosis that we need to consider. What is the thumbprinting and accordion sign? These signs describe inflammatory process involving the colon. Thumbprinting refers to thickening of the colonic fold with contrast material seen in between each fold. It would be as if there are thumbs grabbing it and causing filling defect of contrast material. Accordion sign, this describes the appearance of a long segment of thumb printing due to colitis. Again, these signs are seen in colitis. We'll end with an easy question. What is paraesophageal hernia? That's hernia where a portion of the stomach will herniate through the esophageal hiatus with preserved location of the esophageal gastric junction. So that EG junction would remain fixed, but part of the stomach will herniate adjacent to the esophageal gastric junction.